Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. service. Uh, welcome to Community Bible. Um, this morning we are are going to um, we are going to not go into songs. Normally we go from the offering and we go to songs, and that that was not by my planning, but it, it happened and it worked out. And 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 it works out because we're not going to sing songs now, but we're actually going to talk about songs. We're going to talk about songs because in Isaiah chapter forty-two. Uh, the passage moves towards what most would call the, the servant songs, the four songs in Isaiah in the middle of his book that point to the servant that is to come. We're going to talk about songs, and this morning the message title is A Song for the World to Sing. The Song for the World to Sing. These servant songs, as we get into Isaiah this morning, happened in this chapter, chapter 42. And then it also occurs in 49, 50, and 52. So those are the four songs that will come up. And as I've been thinking about these songs that are coming up, the, the thing that came back, I, I, was, I was thinking back to my youth and when I was young and, and thinking back into when technology was a little bit more complicated. And the thing that came to mind, I don't know if many, most of you should remember this. I think most of the people in this room will remember this. There might be a few that didn't experience this. But for some of us, we grew up with uh, where you had the ability to make a mixtape. Does anyone remember what a mixtape is? Okay, and people are smiling at least. Uh, some, a mixtape was was the act of taking a cassette. Does anyone remember cassettes? No. <laughs> um, you took a cassette and, and you put cassettes in that had certain songs, and you took one song off and you put it onto a blank cassette. 
And then you took this second cassette and put that second song on, and you, you could make this genre or this set of music that was uh, that you had kind of personally catered and cr- personally kind of made into what we would call today a playlist. Uh, but it was uh, songs on one cassette that had a, a genre or a purpose or, or kind of a theme about them. For instance, I'm sure there were some that made... Uh, a, a road trip mixtape where it was all your favorite songs to put in the car as you cruise down the road and you, you go and travel and you sing along to them and you, you just are jacked up through the whole trip as you're going down the road and you're just, it makes the, quick, the trip go that much faster, right? The, the road trip mixtape. Or if you were like me, this is really being vulnerable, if you were like me, you were probably a young junior high boy who had some crush on some girl and then you made a mixtape of all those sappy romance songs. So you could put them in another technology thing. You could put them in your Walkman, and you could listen and be thinking about that person all day long, right? It, you, could, you could do that, and, and, or if you were on the backside for all you country lovers and, and that person broke up with you, you could make a mixtape uh, of them taking your dog and your pickup truck and those kind of things, right? We get the mixtape. We understand that idea, a cassette of, uh, of songs that have to do with a genre, that have to do with a mood that set a tone, compiled into one place. And that's the idea that I want us to think about here uh, in an old piece of technology, a cassette, because what God is doing as he is giving Isaiah the words to speak to his people is it's as if God has made his own mixtape. He's made his own mixtape about the servant that is to come. And the context that this mixtape is handed to is in a time where the people are suffering. They're hurting. We've seen over the last couple weeks, they've been taken. He's speaking of a time when they will be taken away from their land. They will be entrapped in exile. Uh, They'll be removed from their homes, their worship places. Everything will be taken from them. And so this mixtape is to give hope. It's to give songs for the people to sing, to get excited about what God is still up to and what he is going to do. And so it's as if, again, as I said, God is taking a mixtape and he's giving it to Isaiah. And he's saying, Isaiah, put this into the cassette deck and make press play on it so you can hear it and know what I'm up to. And so my people can hear what I'm up to and they can look forward to what is still ahead. Songs about the servant. So with that, let me look to his word. Let's open up to Isaiah 42. And this morning we're going to look at Isaiah 42, 1 through 17. Most of our time is going to be spent with verses 1 through 9. Isaiah 42, 1 through 17. And this is the first of those four songs. Isaiah 42 reads like this. Behold, my servant who I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. I, he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and in a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring justice, bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says the Lord, Lord, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and with and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people in it, and the spirit, the spirit to those who walk in it. 
I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to op- to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. We'll pause there. He speaks of that closing word, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. He's speaking of something that is still in the future, something to anticipate, something to long for. And here at the beginning, verse 1, and then at the end, verse 9, he uses that word that I talked about a few weeks ago. The word is behold. The word is behold, and it's, a, it's not just look at, it's not just gaze upon. It's basically the idea of drop everything you're doing and focus in on this song. Look here. Uh, make sure you give all your energy and effort. It's the idea of when a king would come to town, Behold, the king is coming, and direct your eyes to what he's doing. In terms of song, God is saying, listen to what I'm singing. Listen to the tune that's on the radio, and pay attention. Because if we look to verse 1, he says, this is my servant, he's coming. Look at my servant who I uphold, the one that I've chosen, in whom my soul delights. And that word there is whom my soul delights. He, he is, you know, the God that we think of that is, is so often looked at as, as angry and distant and, and unlike us. Here he is showing to have delight in something. He's, he's showing and, and just oozing forth, and I, I really am excited about this servant and about the song of him who's coming. In a way, we could say, going back to the song theme, God is saying, this is my jam. This is my song, and it's on the radio now, and you need to listen up because I am excited, and I want to dance because my servant is going to come. And he's excited because he's saying, I want you to join in. I want you to be part of that. Behold, my servant, who I uphold. servant songs, they revolve around uh, this one particular servant. And the first thing that we see in Isaiah, verses 1 through 4, is that this song is about the servant's task for the world. This song that, that he's singing is about the servant's task. What is he going to do? Like any good song, it, it speaks of, uh, of a person or, or something, and it kind of gives a story. And here is that person, and here's what they're going to do in this song. First, it says three times in this passage that he's going to establish justice. That one of the main tasks of this servant is to establish justice. Now this isn't, for some it's seen as justice to those who who have done wrong and, and he's going to set them in their place as he's ruling, as he comes. For others, the justice is for those who have been oppressed, he's going to bring them up and, and bring them into a place where they aren't oppressed anymore. Both those are good options. But in the context of Isaiah 42, the, the thing that he's talking about here is worship. That this justice has to do with worship. We remember last week, we saw the people 
of the nations. They were turning to idols and worshiping and trusting in them. They were following after their own gods, and, and God, in a laughable way, basically said they're worthless. This servant who's coming is coming in the context of people who are trying to figure things out on their own, and, and, and that there's a disorder amongst the worship, that people are worshiping other things other than the Creator God. And so the justice that is being brought forth, the idea that's being brought forth here is that the servant is going to come in town and he's going to direct justly their eyes back to worshiping God, that their hearts and minds are going to be aligned to worship as Creator God desires them. This is ultimately about worship. That the servant is going to come and bring order to that so people can follow and worship God again. text goes on in verse 2, after he's bringing justice to the nations and justice that he's going to establish, it speaks of how he's going to come, verses 2, 3, and 4. Verse 2, it says this, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. He will not come loudly, it's saying. This justice, this servant that's going to come, in essence, he's saying he's going to come in obscurity. He's going to come silently. Most kings, most leaders, rulers of that day would come in with lots of pomp and circumstance and armies and and parades, and they'd come in uh, to rule, and it'd be a a huge thing. But he's saying, not with this servant. He's going to come in quietly, unknown. It makes sense, then, that in Luke chapter 2, which is in your readings for this week, it's Simeon who is in the temple and he holds a child in his hand and he alludes back to uh, Isaiah 42. He alludes back to this and he says this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and for, for glory to your people Israel. Simeon is is moving and thinking and singing the song. He's picking up the tune of Isaiah 42, and he's speaking of what? A child that came. In a manger, as a baby, to to lowly Mary and Joseph. He came in obscurity. This servant is coming, and not everyone's going to know about it. Verse 3, it speaks of the servant, this justice that he's going to bring, it's going to come for the broken, those things that have value for him. Look at verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Two illustrations there. A reed, bruised, broken, the idea there that he's trying to bring forth is a reed that, that looks as if it has life, looks as if it's okay, but something has happened to it where it's bruised and broken, and it can no longer bring forth life. It looks alive, but it's dead on the inside. It it looks like it's of value, but it's not. The other illustration is that of a wick, a candle burning, and it's coming to the end of its, literally, rope. It's coming to the end of its rope as it's burning down and it's faintly flickering and there isn't much life left in it. It has little value. Now to most kings that would come, these things would say like, why would you even bother? 
Why would you have a why would you care about these things? But this king is going to care because he's going to believe show that these things have value. Even the lowly, the useless, that which is at the end of its rope has value to this servant. For us, we can pause there and just say, how many of us feel sometimes like a rude reed? In our worship of God, in our relationship with Him, we, we, or, or just in our life as we walk around, we, we seemingly have life on the outside, but on the inside we feel worthless, dead, not of value. How many of us feel like a, a wick that is at the end of our time, or we feel tired out and that we can't go on any longer trying and doing it on our own. That's who Jesus came, or the servant comes for. That's who Jesus, eventually the Messiah, would be coming for. All those that even, that many other kings would just ignore, he's saying those are who I come for. Those have value to me. Verse 4. And this is the really powerful verse here. He speaks, Isaiah speaks that this in this song, that this servant will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. He will not grow faint or discouraged. And, and when I first read that, if, if you are, are reading that, you, you first hear that and think like, oh, he's not going to tire out, or, or he's not going to get bummed out as he's going through and doing his du- duty. He, he's he's going to keep running and, and be encouraged. But that picture is the wrong picture. What's actually being said here, and I, I'm thankful to a Tim Keller message on this that I heard where he alluded to this idea, is that when he's talking about he won't grow faint, he's referring back to the wick that is faintly burning that's at the end of its rope. When he talks about not being discouraged, some of our footnotes actually will also have the word in there that he won't be bruised or broken. The idea there is that as he's not going faint like the wick, he also won't be discouraged, bruised, or broken like the reed. This idea and this song is is a reflection of verse 3 down into verse 4, where it's saying that while there are things that are bruised and broken, and at the end of their wick, here the servant, he will never be bruised, broken, or will never fade out. That implies that the things that bruise, broke the reed, the things that bruise, break us, that kill us and take away life, the things that make us at the end of our rope like the wick that is just barely burning, it is implying that this servant is going to experience those same things. That's an important thing for us in this life. That, that the things that, that take our life, that Jesus himself was going to experience and would experience, but at the same time not be fully, uh, he wouldn't be fully broken or fully snuffed out. It's as if to say he was bruised, he would suffer, he would experience what we experience so that he could deal with our bruises, our experiences. His wick was not snuffed out, or or it was snuffed out, rather. His life was taken so that he could deal with those who feel like they are at their end. 
for us this morning as we pause and think about the servant that's coming, we need to hear that the servant God is speaking of, the song that he's given us to sing and for us to experience this, is when we feel empty, worthless, useless, those things that we experience in life, we have to understand that this servant came and he experienced just what we experience, and yet he continued forward until he established justice in the earth. This is speaking of Jesus living life emotionally as a man, living and going to the cross, dying, and then eventually rising again, saying, it is finished. And it says at the end of those verses that the coastlands, the extent of the world, all people in the world, not just Israel, this is what the world longs for. This is what God's creation desires. It waits for his law. Inside, the whole world is desiring this. The world wants this. They might not articulate it that way, but that is what we are longing for. Right worship with our Creator. Justice in our life. The song continues on in verses 5 through 9. It continues on. And it's a song, it it speaks then kind of of what are the results. What is this song about? What is to come? Why are we even singing this song? It's about the servant. What is he to do? A song of covenant, freedom, and a new day. Covenant, freedom, and a new day. Look with me again at 5 through 9. Thus says the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes comes from it. Who gives breath to the people in it and the spirit to those who walk in it. And now pause there. We remember back to what God has been saying. He's talked a bunch in the past bunch of chapters about him being the creator, him having the ability to do and create. And he's the one that made us put life in us. And he's the one that wants us to look to him in this creation. As God is speaking, uh, we are told, he said, thus says God, and we are, are, are supposed to perk up and listen to say, oh yeah, this is the creator. I should listen in on what he's about to say. But as we look to verse 6, some grammatical things to consider. We should always slow down in our Bibles and read and think, who is the speaker and who is he speaking to? Or who is the speaker speaking to? Here, in in verse 6, we're going to see that it says, I am the Lord, and so it's God speaking, and he's speaking to someone, and we can ask, who is that? In your Bibles, you'll see the word you come up four times in verse 6. And we can, sometimes the you can be plural, sometimes it can be multiple people, or sometimes it can be one. And that's the case here. He's speaking to one person. The idea is that God is turning and speaking to not the people of Israel, he's speaking to the servant. So we get, as we turn to verse 6, we, we get this beautiful picture of, as God is speaking to us and speaking about his servant in the song, he now gives us this picture of him turning to his servant and speaking to him and kind of game planning and speaking about what is about to happen. He says this in verse 6, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. To open the eyes of the blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, the prisoners who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name, 
My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. This message, this song, it speaks between God and the servant. It speaks directly to him, and we get this intimate view of the God speaking to the one he has chosen. He he says, I am the one who called you. The, The idea is that this servant is used for a purpose, that he is selected for a specific task in a specific time to do a specific thing. He has been called. That's significant because what we see from the Old Testament and we see who was called and who was used before was God's people Israel. But now God is suggesting Israel can't bring this on their own. I need one, a chosen one. Because people on their own, just mere created beings, cannot bring the justice, cannot bring back the people to praising me. This one, you, my servant, are selected for this time, for this purpose, for this task that no one else can fulfill. He moves on to say, not only have I called you, but I, God, am going to uphold you. He's speaking to the face of the servant and says, I am going to empower you. We know that the servant is eventually going to be the Messiah, Jesus, who is to come. And, and for him, we, we kind of get stuck into this discussion of, of Jesus. He was fully God. He was man. We, can, we can't wrap our heads around it, and that's okay. We, 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 we can try to digest it. But for us, what is important here as we consider that Jesus came as a man, he wasn't coming out of his power as God, but he was coming, walking through life as a man, empowered by God. He, he, was, he was grasping and saying, God is going to pull me through this. God is bringing me through this in, in this day, in my mission that I've been called for. This servant will be upheld, empowered by him. Again, that's the idea. He was experiencing what we experience, but yet he was pulled through by God, upheld so that he would not be sinful perfectly for this life. He moves on and speaks of why he's coming. I will give you as a covenant for my people, for the, as a light to the nations. He says, I give you, the reason I have called you, the reason that I'm going to empower you is because I want my people, I want the world to have a covenant. I want them to have something to see, to look at, a promise that they can tangibly look to and know who I am as their God. He says, a covenant, that's the idea of the contract that God says, I am doing this for you, and my promises are good, and I will make sure that, I, that, that I'm being a light for you, and, and that you are being brought to me in relationship. I will call you, I will uphold you, I will give you as a covenant, something for the people to look to. Now we have to pause here and say, why... Why would one, why would God be speaking that to his servant? Why would he be speaking that to his servant? And two, why would he want us, Israel, and now us, to hear that in this song? I think the answer to the first question is, is 
is for, for Jesus when he came, when he fulfilled this idea of being the servant who, who would come perfectly and serve this purpose. Uh, he heard God's uh, call to say, I need you to go do this. I, I, and he stepped down out of heaven to be here. We, we hear that, that message that he's speaking to here. And we see that Jesus went. He came for us. This idea of I'm calling you for a task, I'm going to uphold you, and I'm using it as a covenant, it's not like this is a vacation. This was a hard, difficult thing. He was giving his only son to love the world, and here the son is saying, I will do that. He stepped out of perfect fellowship with the, with the son, or with the father, to be here on earth with us, and he walks through this life fulfilled by God. reflecting this verse, I'm thinking to when Jesus, before he went to the cross, he's sitting there praying. And he says what? He says, he says, if this can pass from me, if there's any other way, God, let it pass from me. Uh, let this cup be taken from me. But he, he doesn't. He says, it's your will. Your will be done. And he goes to the cross to die. And I imagine that in some way, these ideas of what God had spoken to him, you called for a purpose, I will uphold you. This is form of the people, a light to the world, a covenant to them. Jesus said, okay, I'm good. And he went to the cross. It might be simplifying it now. But I think we start to see that for, for Christ, what he was doing to be a servant wasn't easy, but he trusted the Father to deliver. Why would he do it for us? I think for us and for Israel that we hear this song and we know that this is going to happen. We have confidence that this is this is God's plan. As God is speaking it, we, we first need to know that in this, God's reputation is on the line. That if God isn't going to do this, and if God isn't going to follow through with this, he becomes a liar, and he reneges on his promise, and, and he's no good as a God. And so for us, we hear God is putting his name on the line, and we need to believe that he's going to make what he has saying come forward. It's also something for us to cling to in this life. That there's one who is called for a purpose, upheld by God, and it's a covenant, a promise to us. A light. And that's exactly what he came to do. Verse 7. He came to be a light, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from dungeons, from the prison, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And he speaks about this light that, that is going to come. This freedom that is going to come from this servant because of what he's doing. A freedom that is for each that put their trust in him. Matthew speaks these verses. He speaks of Isaiah 42. He, he quotes verses 1 through 4 in a, in a, in a verse that, that speaks of those Pharisees wanting to destroy Jesus wanting to harm him, and, and it says that, that he withdrew as the servant from there. Flip over your Bibles with me to Matthew 25 for a second. Or Matthew 12, sorry, Matthew 12. In Matthew 12, it speaks those words, Behold my servant. It goes on to talk about him being the reed, and the, or a bruised reed that he wouldn't break, and the smoldering reed that he wouldn't 
not quenched. He goes back to those verses again. It speaks of him in terms of one that he, he came, and, and when, as these Pharisees are trying to destroy him, he says, it's not my time yet. I, I, I'm not going to confront you. I'm not going to fight back. I'm going to remove myself because this isn't my time. Now, when we continue on, the next passage in Matthew is this one where he frees a demon-possessed man. He frees him from his bondage, from his brokenness. And then it goes into this kind of peculiar verse about God, about Jesus, uh, binding up the strong man, binding up the enemy so he could plunder the house. I'm not going to get into that so much. But what is, is interesting is after he refers to Isaiah 42, he goes into this idea of bringing captives out of something. And it's not a physical bondage. It's a spiritual one. It's bringing them out from where they can't worship God to now being able to worship God eternally. The passage continues on, and, uh, and eventually the way where this kind of chapter or area wraps up is ultimately he points them back to the sign of Jonah. Now I'm, rapid, I'm going through this rapid, but what he says in this passage is, is my time is not yet, I come to bring Pat freedom to those who are bound up. And then he brings them, points them to Jonah. Three days in the belly of the whale. That is the sign of Jonah. And three days will be the sign of how this is to happen. He moves to say that I'm going to be dead, gone, in the grave for three days, and then I will come forth. And that will be the thing that not only will I be free, but I will bring the captives out. I will find a way for those of us we're in bondage to our, in our spiritual bondage, in prison, that can't see the light, but we can be brought out. He's speaking of a covenant that will bring a freedom and will bring a new day. Verse 9, before, behold, the forward things have come to pass, a new thing I now declare. He's speaking of a new day in which we that have been brought out of that freedom can now live in confidence, knowing that it's not we're not in bondage anymore. We're not broken. We have new life. We've been brought forward, and we can stand because the servant has done something for us. A new day. When the things that keep us down, the things that so often entangle us, the things that keep us from worshiping God, we can turn to this servant and be reminded and say, no, I have a God who loves me. I have a God who forgives me, who has freed me, and now I can worship Him in the hardships of life. That's what the servant has done to his people. That's the song that God wants to sing. But it's not just a song that... God sings and he sings to us to hear, but ultimately this is a song with an invite to sing along. Everyone loves a sing-along, right? Everyone loves a good musical. Actually, I'm not so much a musical fan, but we, we all know us uh, in a musical, these songs that are, that are sung where oftentimes, and I, I, there's probably one I have in mind, but I couldn't put a name to it. Where, where, you know, one or two characters are singing along and, and they're, 
they're kind of uh, singing this, this song, and then all of a sudden, out of the middle of nowhere, the whole rest of the cast, like, floods in, and they all know the song, and it's some random street scene or something like that, and, and, and they're all singing with it, and they hear the song, they pick it up, and they're singing it as well. And as God and Isaiah are singing this song, the invite here in verses 10 on uh, through 13 is to sing the song with God. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and the inhabitants, let the desert and its cities lift up their voice and the village of Hadar inhabitants. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountain. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare His praise in the coastlands. The Lord goes out like a mighty man. Like a man of war, He stirs up His zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows Himself mighty against His foes. The servant who is going to come quietly in earth and live is now being spoken of that He's mighty and He's doing something that will be loud and victorious and he will fight for his people. And that is a song that we here are being invited to sing along with in our lives. This isn't as if uh, Isaiah is taking the mixtape from God and and saying, put it in your Walkman and put it into your headphones and just kind of keep it to yourself. Just kind of walk down the sidewalk and quiet. He's saying, no, this is a song that you should be singing aloud as you learn and and study and understand the greatness of the song. You should join in as the song progresses out across the world. It's a great song. For Israel, we have to remember that this is something that was still in the future for them. As they're in exile, they're hopeless, they're broken, They don't know what's going to happen to them. This song is played, and they are called as a broken people to still have hope. Have hope in what God is about to do, which is what it says in 14 through 17. God speaks this. This is part of this song. For a long time I have heard, I have held my peace. I have kept still and restrained myself. Now I will carry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. I will lay waste mountains and hills. I will dry up all the vegetation. I will turn rivers into islands and dry pools. I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know, in paths that they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the, the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. They are turned back to utterly. They are turned back and utterly put to shame. Who you trust in carved idols? Who say to metal images, "You are our God." The idea is that this is a song for Israel, who are anticipating, longing for that Messiah to come, and they are to sing loudly in anticipation for. side of that song. We are singing and rejoicing and joyfully proclaiming our hope in a servant who had come and we trust will come again. In our life, as as things wear us down, as things are hard on us, we, we recite the song, we sing the melody, we proclaim it in our heads and to the world and say, no, this hardship in our life 
this cancer, this, this thing, this relationship that's gone bad, my, my depression, those things. Well, I look at those and I remind myself of the song, I have a servant who has done a great thing for me. And sing out, turn to him, look to the servant. song that we want to proclaim every day of our lives. And it's the corporate song that we want to sing together. I often say that what we do when we sing worship songs here on Sunday mornings as we gather together is that we remind ourselves that we don't just sing our songs off by ourselves in our homes. Uh, We do that throughout the week, but we gather together and we sing this song together. We remind each other of it. We proclaim it. And in a moment, we're going to sing the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It's speaking of a God who is faithful. And we sing it not just to God, great is your faithfulness, but we sing it so that we can hear and give testimony to to each other. Some of you guys aren't singers. Or you don't want to sing out loud. But I would encourage you as you reflect on this song and what the servant came to do and what God was doing as he was upholding and giving the servant that we're reminded that God is so faithful that we sing and that we sing it together and that we sing it going out from here as we go into our week because we know we want to sing our glory. The song that we are brought into this morning is one that gives us great hope Let us sing of your wealth glory. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, we've heard your song. Your song that you anticipated to bring forward most definitely when sin entered in the world. I would even go back to say you we're excited for the song of one to come, a servant to come, even when you created the world. Or we could even go back that for all of eternity past, you have been excited to sing this song. This is the thing you delight in. This is the one that we uh, are brought back and that we can worship you through this song. song of your servant. so that we could be brought out of our bondage and brought to you. May we sing that song aloud. May we trust in your faithfulness as we go out from here. The gospel message from when we first came for today and for tomorrow. Father, we thank you that you delight in the song. Jesus, we thank you that you are the hero of the song. In spirit, we are thankful that you give us this melody as we sing out the song.